0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. So we are able to look to the Bible to understand what is this life. Uh, And that is something, Lord willing, that we intend to do not only today but also next week as we prepare to look at Ecclesiastes. Uh, But first, uh, we, we take the opportunity Uh, in in an open Sunday, as it were, to think of a very, very important topic. Uh, You'll see, perhaps, that the title of the sermon this morning is The Worth, Dignity, and Sanctity of Human Life. Uh, And I'll I'll share more about why in just a moment, but uh, come with me into the book of Genesis, uh, the very first book of the Scriptures in the Old Testament, Genesis 1. We're looking at two selections from Genesis, Genesis 1, and also Genesis 2. Um, The reason why is because since uh, 1984, 1984 was the first time that a US president designated a Sanctity of Life Sunday, that is to be honored, Uh, and it has been uh, publicly recognized uh, on and off. Sometimes it has and recognized or not depending on uh, who occupied the office, uh, but I, I don't want to focus necessarily on the history of a so-called Sanctity of Life Sunday in the United States because the sanctity of human life is not an important issue because a United States president says so or any political party or lobby group or individual or institution. The sanctity of human life, and we'll try to unpack what we mean when we say sanctity, But the sanctity of human life matters because the author of human life says so himself. And we want to look to his words, the words of the one who made us, who made our lives as we consider the sanctity, dignity, and worth of human life. So we are considering this issue, again, not because uh, a president has marked its occasion, but rather because this issue is central in a worldview. It was about a a year or so or more ago that we unpacked the four essential components of what makes up a worldview, saying everybody has a worldview. A worldview is the truths that a person has as an essential commitment that form the way they look at the world or their worldview. Again, everybody has a worldview. And this issue, the sanctity of human life, getting to the issue of origins, where do I come from, and as a product of my life, does it matter, touches this issue of dignity, sanctity, and worth of human life. Listen to the words of former Surgeon General uh, Everett Koop. My, my, My dad and my father actually went to church with Everett Koop in Philadelphia. And so his his name has been familiar to me for some time. But listen to the way the former Surgeon General of the United States sums up the problem of a culture that refuses to look to biblical truth as a foundation for worldview. Former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop said this, Our society, having lost its understanding of the sanctity of human life, is pushing the medical profession into assuming one of God's prerogatives, namely, deciding what life shall be born and when life shall end. Now, uh, Dr. Coop there is touching on a few issues. but What I want to say this morning as we approach the issue of the sanctity of life is that it's my intention to take a broad view of this topic, namely, life issues as it relates not just to those pre-born or facing impending death, but rather, all life. All human life. Dignity, worth, and sanctity of human life. So, that is our subject this morning. Let us consider what the Scriptures have to say about this very, very important topic. And as we do, uh, let us pause and pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures to us this morning. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we turn now to Your Word. And we do so, uh, we confess, with a, a fair amount of weariness and exhaustion because, Lord, we have heard so much talk, so much commentary, so many opinions and, and thoughts of people this week. Uh, we consume news media probably far too much. And, and so, Lord, in the midst of a time when We hear increasing volumes of man's opinion. Lord, we turn to your word saying, speak to us. Speak truth to us. Speak to us not mere opinion, but everlasting truths from eternity itself. Lord, you are the living God. You speak to us in the Bible, your living truth. And so, Lord, we pray, illuminate us to receive it this morning. Send your spirit upon us that we might both read and receive that living word which is able to change us. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray this morning. In the matchless name of Christ, our King, we ask it. Amen. As you uh, perhaps see in your bulletin, we're going to look at uh, two selections in Genesis first Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and then also chapter 2, 4 to 7. So let's look to the scriptures together. Genesis 1 at verse... 26 this is the word of god then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's come over into chapter 2. We'll just pick up right at the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant in the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So we ask that he writes eternal truth on our hearts as we consider it this morning in this uh, topic, this, uh, this consideration of The value, worth, and dignity of human life. Let's get right to the main point as to why this is important. The divide between those who hold that human life is sacred and those who value human life only on the grounds of function or material or physical attributes has deepened, meaning we will either look at life and consider that it has inherent worth and dignity or we will assume that it only has Material or functional worth or dignity as it is able to aid to the furtherance of society. Why does life matter? In the face of increasing secular materialism and really a militant atheism and an increasingly moral relativism that accompanies these views of uh, an undignified humanity that lowers the value of human existence, it is very important for Christian believers who hold to the truths of the Word of God and the Gospel to reaffirm the sacredness and value of human life based on the testimony of the Bible's own teaching. Why do we believe this? Why do we care so much about this issue? It's important again to remember that this issue of sanctity goes far beyond any one particular issue but encompasses actually so much. And so we look to the beginning. We look to the book of Genesis, uh, which means beginnings, and that's helpful for us for a number of reasons. But as we engage this worldview, as we engage the, the view of the world with the dignity of life, I want you to consider something else here. We're going to the beginnings, but there is a view that suggests that human life only has value at the end of life, not at the beginning. Actually, it was John Paul Sartre, who was an early 20th century philosopher, who is famous for his school of thought called existentialism, who said there is no God, and because there is no God, we have no inherent design or determination. Humanity simply appears on the scene without definition or purpose. Humanity simply exists. And in the existence of humanity, it is only at the end of our lives that we can evaluate the choices and decisions that we have made to make a final determination about the value or dignity of our life. Secular existentialism says your life has value, but only in your capacity to evaluate your life at the end, not the beginning. In that view of the world, meaning is only important at the end. And the Christian worldview says, of course, dignity and value is present at the end, but it's also present at the beginning. So says the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. In Genesis 1, we are told for the first time in the Bible, but definitely not the last, that man, humanity, man and woman, are human beings created in the image of God. That is what we're going to focus on. Humanity created in the image of God and that immediately causes us to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And because the book of Genesis is so foundational to our worldview, it expounds for us this very reality. Genesis 1 and 2 is the account... Of creation oftentimes biblical scholars help us to understand the relationship between chapter 1 and chapter 2 as chapter 1 is the summary and chapter 2 really focuses on the sixth day of creation with a special emphasis on the creation of humanity but in this account of creation this grand accounting we really notice something uh, interesting and we didn't read all of this but if you just scan back across chapter 1 and see the various days of creation, and notice the way things are created. God, of course, creates. uh, We say ex nihilo, out of nothing, without pre-substance. He simply speaks and things come into being. But I want you to notice a few things as you scan over chapter 1. When God made light in verse 3, he said, let there be light. Uh, when, when he called forth the earth to bring forth forth its fruits in, in verse 11, he said, Let the earth sprout forth. Vegetation, plants yielding seed, etc. When he wanted the waters to swarm in verse 20, he said, Let the waters swarm. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth every creature. Verse 20 is the uh, water creatures. Verse 24, the earth living creatures. There is this very simple formulation in which God creates by simply saying, let there be. And there was, which in and of itself is an astounding reality of God's creative authority to speak his words and call things into being. But everything that is made through days 1 to 5 is made by simply God saying, let there be. But there is a distinction when you come into verse 26 and the sixth day of creation. There is a distinction. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make. Everything else is let there be. Here in verse 26 is let us make, indicating that there is a unique engagement of divine thought and counsel that is about to take place here in creation on the sixth day. At this point, we don't even know what's going to come forth, but we know that by a distinction that there's something unique, something different here. The animals are made according to their kind is the way the Bible explains it. That is according to a pattern prescribed by God. But in verse 26 and 27 that follows, we find that man is made after the pattern of God himself. Again, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27 expounds, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. Humanity, both man and woman, equal worth, dignity, and value from man to woman, are both created imago Dei is the technical term that we use. imago Dei, the image of God. Angels are not created Imago Dei. There is no other part of creation that is made in God's image. All the other parts of creation are made after their own likenesses. Uniquely, humanity, man and woman with special dignity created after their maker in the maker's own image. But that doesn't explain what it means yet. What does it mean? You notice how Moses records this for us Again, in verse 27, in this kind of recounting, almost this hymnic and poetic way, emphasizing the significance of being made in the image of God. But he gives it without explanation. It's simply stated emphatically multiple times, as if to consider that the people who would receive this would just know what it means. Maybe that's because images were common realities of life in the ancient world. People had images and they looked to those images and it reminded them of something or called forth their worship. But you don't have to go very far in the scriptures before you find the fact that God associates images and their worship oftentimes with a negative thing. God says, I don't want you to make an image of me and worship it. Don't do that. That's called idolatry. It's breaking the second commandment. But do you notice God does make an image of himself. It's you. It's humanity in general. God says, don't make an image of me, but I will make an image of me. The true image of God is us. The true image of God is humanity. It's non-physical. God doesn't have a body, and so the image of God is not a physical substance. So what is the image of God? Let's just explore and unpack a few things that this means by the witness of two millennia of church witness and belief. First of all, to be made in the image of God means that humanity, man, man, and woman, are distinct from animal creation. As you look again at verses 24 and 25, five times the various creatures are said to be made after their own kind. And again, verse 26, not to be made after his kind, but in God's own image. And Moses' point here is that humanity is unique. It's not just that humanity is smarter than animals because, well, we assume that we are, but we oftentimes find intelligence in animals, but that's not what this is talking about. It's not that humanity is smarter than the monkeys or the dolphins, not that they can communicate better than the animals because sometimes you think that you could communicate better with a monkey than your spouse, perhaps. I don't know if you think that. Sometimes that mankind is of a different genus than other animals he is different he is made after god's own image and that's the very first thing that we emphasize that humanity is altogether unique and different and distinct that has all sorts of implications for uh, who has dominion and authority in the world we won't chase all those implications just now but first of all the humanity made in the image of god means that humanity is distinct from the rest of creation secondly it means that humanity is given capacity for responsibility and the exercise of authority over creation. The Bible uses this word dominion. Dominion is what we find here. To subdue the earth. You see that in verses 28. And God blessed them, man and woman. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea. God commands Adam and Eve to subdue creation and rule over it. That is, to exercise authority as God's representative in the world and crowning jewel of creation to bring things in order. This is reiterated in Genesis 9, after Uh, Noah and his family proceed forth from the ark. God reiterates this uh, same statement. We call this the cultural mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Bring things in harmony with the will of the Creator. It is humanity's responsibility to exercise dominion and live in a way that reflects their Maker having dominion and authority over the natural world of which humanity is the crowning jewel. That is the point that humanity is endowed with this capacity. Being made in the image of God also means, thirdly, not just to exercise dominion, but also to be a reflection of God's own attributes. To be a reflection of God's own attributes. He is to reflect the attributes of God, that God is rational, and so mankind must be rational. God has intelligence, and so mankind is therefore intelligence. He is endowed with knowledge, rationality, understanding. When Adam goes forth naming the various creatures, he is exercising the authority of intelligence, exercising his rational thought. God does not ask the alligator to name the chimpanzee, and so forth. By Adam exercising dominion, he is expressing the attribute of rationality over creation because he is uniquely made in God's image. He has a moral agency as he makes decisions and enacts and confirms them. And also, especially chapter 2 tells us that man is made in the image of God as he is endowed with an immortal soul. To be made in the image of God is to reflect what is true of God, namely that He is a spirit. Humanity uniquely is possessed with a spirit, or we say a soul. We see it especially in Genesis 2-7. the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And so we see this aspect of man having self-conscious knowledge, thought, action. God breathes life into him. He is more than just a body. He is a soul. And and mankind, humanity, man and woman is placed into this world to be a blessing, to experience communion with God on the earth, created in the image of God for dominion. He is the image of God in all of these ways. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. And emphatically making the point, there is no other part of creation that is made in God's Image. Now this theme of being made in the image of God is important not just as it relates to creation but also as it relates to redemption because the way we speak of the image of God is actually altered back uh, as we don't have to go very far because when you find in Genesis chapter 5 as Adam is made in God's image, Adam has a son in Adam's image. Something happens to the image of God that is marred and broken. And, of course, we find that in chapter 3. As sin enters into the world, the image of God is stained, broken and shattered. Oftentimes, we use this metaphor that humanity is as a mirror. And being made in the image of God calls forth the fact that God intended humanity to reflect God's own glory as creator. Humanity was intended to express these moral attributes, moral agency, rationality, possessing an eternal soul, reflecting the glory of the Creator. But when sin enters in the world, the image of God is broken. We don't do what we are intended to do. Rather than reflect the glory and attributes of the moral agency and purity and holiness of God, we instead reflect ourselves only We don't shine forth the glory of the Creator. We're instead consumed with ourselves, filled with lust and pride and and the pursuit of our own power rather than the glory of God, the Creator. The mirror is broken. It doesn't mean it's gone. It just means the mirror is not doing what it's intended to do. And the Bible speaks in the New Testament of Jesus Christ Christ. Not only the very image of God, but God Himself coming to redeem and restore what is broken about us. And the Bible tells us on the whole that what is broken about us is that we don't do what we were created to do. Jesus has come to restore, if you like, to put the mirror back together so that you who were created to reflect the image of God but do so in a marred and broken way might one day through grace of salvation and eternal life do what you were intended to do. God redeems His image through His true Son. But this whole teaching of the image of God in man and humanity is foundational and essential for a Christian worldview. It's so important that this principle is established very, very early on and you don't have to go very far in the book of Genesis to find that there is a penalty for the destruction of the image of God in man. The taking of human life is considered such severe transgression because man is made in the image of God. And because we are image bearers, taking the life of another is wrongly an affront to the Creator because it devalues and dehumanizes the image of God in humanity. The devaluing and the dehumanization of the worth, dignity, and value of human life made in the image of God. Well, we should think about how this forms us. The decisions that we make, the truths that we believe. But, you know, it's actually quite simple. The Bible presents to us the worth and dignity and value of human life. Every human life. Every single human life in every phase of its existence it should shape our worldview. now many apply this teaching of the Bible the image of God they apply it to sanctity of life uh, application issues like abortion and euthanasia is that relevant absolutely is the image of God upon man from conception yes as we read together in our call to worship from Psalm 139 Behold, you formed me in my mother's womb. You knit me together. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing what God does in creation as women bring forth their children. Made in the image of God. They don't become made in the image of God after they're born, but from very conception. It also applies to end-of-life issues. But the sanctity of life should motivate us to pursue the sanctity of life, to pursue the value of human life over against all forms of evil and injustice that perpetuate violence against the value of human life. Violence, abuse, oppression, human trafficking, other sorts of evil opposed to the sanctity and violation of human life. It should change the way you look at other people now living Point two, That the value and decency and worth and dignity of people all around me. And here comes the really challenging part, oftentimes for us. You should say, who around me is made in the image of God? Everybody, right? What about the people I really disagree with? Yeah, Them too. What about the people who make me so mad with their opinions and with their worldviews that I could just spit them too, right? Everyone, the people I like, the people I don't like, the people I agree with, the people I don't agree with, everyone born and pre-born, the unborn, the full spectrum of political opinion, they are all made in the image of God, young and old, everyone you should ask yourself this question. How does the truth of the image of God change the way, not just the way I look at myself? That's very important. And and especially if you are a person that really struggles with your own worth and dignity and and meaning and value, this truth about the image of God is something that, that you need to internalize and understand about yourself. You are made in the image of God. You matter. Your life matters. It's not a mistake. But how does this truth also change, not only the way I look at myself, but how does it change the way I look at this person? How does it change the way I will speak to this person, treat this person? How does it inform the assumptions that I make about them? In a world filled to the brim with vitriol and hate and spewing antagonism, don't we need a church? that has this at a core of its view of the world, especially the dignity of other people, even when we have contradictory worldviews and disagree with them, we can disagree with them in a way that is compelling, because you're never going to argue somebody into the kingdom. You're never going to compel somebody to come to Christ with how right you are and how wrong they are about everything. That's not the way of Jesus. Oftentimes, we might prefer that it is, but it's not, and Jesus confronts us with that very reality in the book of Genesis checks our very assumptions about our neighbors by reminding us that they too they too are made in the image of God just like me the church needs this distinct worldview as salt and light in a world that seems to take every opportunity to dehumanize and disrespect life in every phase one of the things that that has been of such a source of joy for me as a pastor is uh, not only to see those folks who are especially committed to this issue and who find themselves uh, giving up their time and talents and, re- and, and resources, volunteering at agencies like Pregnancy Resources in the Quad Cities, one of our mission partners. They, they, they give their time to that and, and their resources because they care about life preborn. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, oftentimes we find your church members and friends walking alongside their aging and elderly parents loving their parents as their capacities decrease as their cooperation goes out the door as they become difficult but children who love their parents all the way why for this reason Life matters in the full spectrum, pre-born to the very end, and everything in between. Because we are made in the image of God, we have inherent worth, dignity, and value, all people. By affirming the value and sacredness of human life, we are saying that people do matter to God. Every human being, regardless of ethnicity, age, gender, physical abilities, mental competence, or any other condition of life, because they are made in His image, reflect His glory, and are loved by Him and therefore should be by us as well. Christian believers are to have the distinct flavor of salt and light about them on this issue, to speak up, to advocate for, to care about this issue in the full spectrum of life to receive the teaching of the Word, to believe it, to, to be in cooperation with ministries and agencies that are also doing this on the front lines because you might very much care about this but are not engaged on the front lines on these issues in the full spectrum. Nevertheless, there are agencies and ministries that are. We should support them. We should stand behind them, uh, which is what we will continue to do, for example, like with pregnancy resources. We should teach our children the importance of this topic. We should have a clear answer for why life matters in a world that increasingly says we don't have a compelling answer and so therefore we can't convince you that it does. Well, I'm reading a lot of children's books these days. Uh, And this is a children's book that I know of, but we don't have just yet. But it's a Dr. Seuss book. (laughs) Horton Hears a Who, story about an elephant named Horton who hears a noise and discovers that there's a a colony of Whos living in a dust speck, right, tiny. He rescues them, and as he rescues them, he gets all kinds of mocking from a kangaroo who thinks that Horton's a fool for trying to save something that, from the kangaroo's perspective, doesn't exist, non-existence, dehumanizes the Whos, the kangaroo does. Horton says this, Should I put this speck down? If I do, these small persons may come to great harm. I can't put it down, and I won't. After all, a person's a person, no matter how small. We don't need to give Dr. Seuss the last word on this, right? Although that's true and helpful, why does human life have dignity, worth, and value? Because God says so because he is the maker of human life and therefore the one who endows you, who endows your neighbor, and who endows the stranger that you encounter with dignity, worth, and value. People of God, if the church embraces this and lives with a passion for it, we will be the light that is needed to bear witness in the dark for the glory of God. Let us do so. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us and how it shapes our worldview. Lord, we pray that we might have compassion and passion for this truth. We pray now for everyone associated with issues, especially pertaining to this topic. And yet, Lord, even as we say that, we realize it's everything. But Lord, uh, we pray this morning for for those uh, who struggle, for those who who grieve, uh, for those uh, who have lost. Have mercy upon us all. And Lord, write it upon our hearts that we are made in your image and help us to celebrate it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.